How about now? There we go. Not only to be a pastor, you also have to be able to exegete God's word and work the power strip. Um, so over the next four weeks, we are going to do a bit of an Advent study where we are going to examine, this is the Christmas season, this is the Advent season. If you were with us during Sunday school, we talked about this season is about longing. It's about desiring, it's about yearning for Christ, for his coming, not just his coming, his first coming, coming in the manger, uh, to accomplish for us salvation, but also a second coming, to make all things new and all things right and all things uh, whole again. And so we're, over the next four weeks, we are going to look at um, four benefits of Christ coming. Four benefits of Christ coming. And each week we're gonna try to come up with a word or a phrase that is a benefit of Christ taking on flesh, coming to this earth. Yes, hopefully you know, and if you don't, stay tuned because we're gonna work through some of these things. Hopefully you know Jesus came to this earth to save us from our sin. But there are also other benefits as well. Beautiful benefits. Today, um, we are going to look at the benefit that Jesus coming offers in restoration. Restoration not only for our lives, for our relationships, uh, but also uh, for all of creation. Uh, we're gonna read together, or I'll read for us Isaiah chapter 11. Let's do something different if you don't mind. Let's stand together in the honor of God's word uh, as we read. This is God's word from Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or dis decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord." As the waters cover the sea, in that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal 
For the peoples of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is God's word. May he write its truth on our hearts. You may be seated. Let me pray for us as we consider God's word. Father, you tell us that these words are able to divide between bone and marrow. You tell us that these words are sharper than any two-edged sword. You tell us that your word, that we can, in your word, we can come to you when we're weak and we're heavy laden and you will give us rest. And we can find hope in you that you, Jesus, will give us your yoke, which is easy and light, and we can find rest for our souls. Holy Spirit, as we consider uh, the restoration that you are bringing about in our lives, even as we speak, would you make it real to us? Would you make us see it uh, all the more? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this past week, Rainy and I were um, out one evening, um, and we, we had gone together to get some ice cream. And Rainy said these words to me. So many of you know our, um, th- what the last 120 days have looked like for us here in Greenville. Um, and Rainy said to me these words, profound in multiple levels for our family. Um, she said, Dad, Temporary displacement is hard. And so I asked her, sweetie, what, you know, let's talk about that some more. What do you mean? Obviously, for our family, uh, that means um, as wonderful as it's been, that means living in the gays' home. Who, they're not here today, so I can talk about them as much as I want. <laughs> and the only way they'll know is when they hear me on the podcast, maybe, maybe later. So... Living in a gay home, it's been wonderful, but temporary displacement is hard. You don't have your stuff. You don't have your, you don't have your life, the things that make you who you, who you are. Uh, not to mention the fact that, oh, shall we say, interest rates have gone crazy, <laughs> right? And losing a substantial amount of buying power in a home is hard. Um. I don't know how much it's going to cost me when this is all said and done to clean Debbie Gay's house from the mess that my dogs have made. Temporary displacement, it's it's challenging. And when Rainey said those words to me, obviously we talked about what the, the path that the Lord has given to us. But we also talked about the rest of life because in some senses, the Christian life is temporary displacement, is it not? We're longing for a greater home. We're longing, this, this would not be our home. We're longing for something else, something out there. And so in some sense, for those who are found in Christ, we're all temporarily displaced, are we not? And yet... In that temporary displacement, we, our conversation continued and some beautiful truths began to come to the forefront. 
I said, Randy, do you know how many people have been praying that we could get a home? So many of you. Do you know how, how much our family has been longing for us to be settled? There's these little signals along the, along the way, these little um, banners, if you will. Every day, we, every Sunday we walk in here every week and someone has said to us over the last 120 days, man, we have been praying. We know how hard it is we've been praying. And across my bow, across my family's bow is the Lord's faithful. He's, he's at work. It doesn't happen like this. I mean, even if you own a home, you've lived in Greenville all your life, there's still things in your life where it doesn't happen like this, right? And you're longing to see what the Lord's up to. I think that's indicative of our life. Temporary displacement, difficulty, chaos, hardship. And yet the benefits of Christ coming is that he's restoring all things. He will restore our family on December 15th <laughs> with a new home. And we're so thankful for that. How else is the Lord at work restoring uh, our lives? That's what I want us to look at this morning as we consider Isaiah chapter 11, a beautiful passage. And I want us to consider it along three lines. I think Isaiah tells us there are three things that the Lord is restoring. He's restoring rule, he's restoring justice, and he's going to bring about healing. So if you're a note taker, that's where we're kind of we're gonna navigate this morning. Uh, restored rule, restored justice, and healing. Uh, first, restored rule. The context of Isaiah's prophecy means everything. It means everything. You have to know Isaiah's context if you're gonna understand what he's saying because there is impending disaster for Israel. The Assyrians are breathing down Israel's neck. They're going to conquer them. They're going to take them over. We learn this through the rest of scripture. And so with impending decimation, Isaiah is prophesying what? Restoration. And if you don't think Israel knew something was coming, they did. Shaking, shaking in their boots would be a, a good descriptor. And yet, there's hope. Isaiah's telling there's something out there, even though the impending disaster hasn't happened yet. And so Isaiah says rule will be restored, but it's going to be restored through a different kind of ruler. A different kind of ruler. If you look at verse 1 with me, verse 1 and verse 10, this new king, this new ruler will come as a shoot from the stump of Jesse, Isaiah says. The idea here is an old stump that when you look at it with the eye and you examine it, it looks dead. It looks gone. It looks like there's no life in it. But what you can't see is the roots. You can't see what's going on uh, in the roots. The roots are still alive. And so in verse 10, this new king, this ruler, is identified not only as the shoot that will come forth from Jesse, but he's also identified as the root of Jesse. Now, that's crazy, okay? Ancestry.com and 23andMe will not help you with that. You're not going to get anywhere because here's the reality. 
Isaiah is telling us something supernatural here is happening here. That the very person that formed this royal ancestry, this royal line, the very person that brought it into existence and formed it and created it is also going to spring out of it. Supernatural activity this is a king, he's royal, but it's not how you'd expect. So there's royal ancestry, but there's also royal power. If you notice in verse 2, the way Isaiah describes how this power will sit on this new ruler. Think with me Old Testament-wise. The Spirit of the Lord rested on all sorts of people in the Old Testament. Moses, David, Elijah, Elisha. All of these people had the spirit of the Lord, but not like Isaiah describes. Look in verse 2. The, the, the spirit of the Lord will rest on this person, this ruler, in seven ways, giving wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The idea here is there's a complete spirit-filledness that rests on this new ruler in a way that no man has ever experienced. How do you think Isaiah's people would respond uh, to this? The Assyrians are breathing down their necks. And don't you imagine that Isaiah's people said, please, please, please make this restoration happen now. Make it happen before it even starts. Can't you envision that? Make this, please, God, make it happen now. It is, isn't this the way that we react? When our lives are temporarily displaced, when we've got difficulty, when we've got hardship, when things aren't easy, they're not going the way we want them to go. Isn't, how this, how we, isn't that, this how we respond? Please, 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 Lord, make it, make it go away. Make it go away. Make it go away now. It begs even bigger questions. Who do you want to rule over you? Who are you ruling over and how? Don't you wish you could exercise rule with supreme wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge? Don't you wish you lived under that rule of supreme wisdom and knowledge and care and compassion? through sacrificial grace to those who don't deserve it. Don't you wish you lived under that? Don't you wish you were that kind of parent or boss or friend? It brings up more questions. Can God really know what he's doing in the minutia of every single life in this room? Can he really, can he really know that? Or maybe, even if he can really know that, don't you think he probably needs some help? Don't you think he needs some help to unravel some of these intimacies? Surely he's missing a few details. Isaiah is telling his people, good rule will be restored. Good rule will be restored. But he's also telling them, and that anticipation just lingers and it's going to linger over us for just a few minutes as well. Because he not only says that restore is going to be, that rule is going to be restored, but that justice is also going to be restored. 
Think about the corruption that takes place in exile. Think about the devaluing of human life that takes place when you are stripped away from your home and you're sent off into exile. Isaiah's hearers would wonder soon if the concept of justice had been wiped from the face of the earth. It's just not fair. And yet if you look at verses three through five with me, this restoration of justice is bound to the character of this new ruler. They're inextricably linked. They cannot be separated. And so this rubric for justice in verse 3, it's a joy for this new king or this ruler to restore justice according to the fear of the Lord. It's a delight for him to administer justice according to the heart, not what the eyes see, not what the senses can take in. And this justice is consistent for all. Did you hear that in verses 4 and 5? This new king, uh, this, this ruler is going to be able to judge in all the ways that you and I can't and don't. He's going to be able to administer justice even-handedly for all. He's going to be able to uphold the fullest integrity of the law. He, he reigns and judges according to rightness and to what is equitable not according to mixed motives and sinful hearts. So his judgment upholds the law's spectrum from the weakest, the poorest, to the richest. There's equity, injustice for all. It seems like we've got a paradox of justice, doesn't it? Isaiah is telling us that justice is going to be restored, but his people would have the same disposition or feeling that we would have, like, when? Have you ever asked that question in our current climate today? When justice is certainly, in many cases, not according to God's word, have you ever had the thought, when, Lord? When? When will justice be made equitable for all? Is there not there's this inconsistency in the administration of justice all around us? Let's make it more personal. Where is life not fair for you? Where's life not fair for you? Whether it be the hardships of your own life or the hardships of life because of others, where's life not fair for you? Is it really okay? We talk about the, in the realm of justice, is it really okay to borrow the lyrics from the great hymn that the vilest, the vilest of offenders can truly believe? Is that really okay? Is it really okay that my, is it really real that my self-manufactured righteousness demands just as much justice as the death row inmate? That's hard, that's hard justice. And for Isaiah's people, for us, restored justice sounds beautiful, does it not? When, when is the question that Isaiah's people would ask. 
And then lastly, he says, there's healing coming. Now, I don't know about you, but this portion of this prophecy intrigues me more than any other, right? Because Isaiah is saying something about nature that we almost cannot even conceive of. Look, look, look in verse 9 with me, or excuse me, verse 6. Verses 6 and 7, Isaiah says that there's going to be a reconciling of old hostilities. Now think about this. Have you ever lived in a world where there is no predator-prey relationship? It doesn't exist, right? It does not exist. We cannot conceive. But when creation is healed, we experience the benefit of the way it was meant to be. Isaiah is talking about Eden, so beautiful and so harmonious that a little child should have dominion and leadership over these wild animals. That doesn't happen now. That the whole of the animal kingdom could exist without the predator-prey relationship. That's unfathomable healing, is it not? Look at verses 8 and 9. This even takes it further. Isn't Isaiah saying that the enmity of Genesis 3 between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman is over? Such that a nursing child, now some of you moms and dads have babies, they're nursing, they're infants. I'm pretty sure you're not going to let them go play with a cobra, right? And for even those of you who have toddlers, I'm pretty sure you're not going to let them go play with an adder, with a deadly snake that could kill them. And Isaiah says what? That's all going away. That is all going away. There's no danger because the knowledge and beauty of the Lord has been restored in all of creation. Is that not beautiful? Isn't that beautiful to think about? Don't you long to live in the benefit of this? Don't you long to be able to experience this? But honestly, as incredible and unbelievable as it sounds, doesn't it just feel so far away? It just feels so far away. Given our current landscape, wolves do not dwell with lambs. The leopard with the goat. In fact, humanly speaking, there are, some of these, there are some of these tendencies in our own life. Someday you're the wolf, and some days you're the lamb. And we consume each other and are consumed by each other on a regular basis. Um, don't you long for this, where the curse has been broken, but sometimes it feels like the curse rests on your shoulders, does it not? How do you need to be healed this morning? How do you need to be healed? How do we see and hold on to the benefits of the promises that Isaiah make? That rule will be restored, that justice will be restored, and that we'll be healed, not just us, but all of creation. How do we, how do we grasp hold of that? How do we feel that when it looks like it's so far out there? Look at verse 10 with me. Isaiah says there's gonna be a signal 
There's going to be a signal. And this word that Isaiah uses carries with it the idea of a banner being waved. Like, some of you, like your favorite football team, they score a touchdown, and you see the banner go across the end zone, right? Like a banner being waved. Or it also carries with it the sound, uh, like the sound of a trumpet being signaled uh, together. And that signal is going to be different uh, than anything else. And Isaiah says that the ruler, the king, is not going to show up and wave the banner. Isaiah says, look closely at verse 10. Isaiah says, the ruler is going to be the banner. He's going to be the signal. And that signal is going to be so different that he will upend every expectation that we have for rule and justice and healing. A manger and a cross and an empty tomb is not the restoration that the world is expecting. The reason there's encouragement and assurance in this obscure prophecy in Isaiah is because Jesus is the ultimate restorer. And here's the benefit of his coming. Three things. Here's the benefit of his coming. Jesus' authoritative rule is ushered into space and time through sacrifice. That's a different kind of rule. Jesus' authoritative rule over all creation is ushered into existence through sacrifice. He conquers our greatest adversary, sin and Satan, by sacrificing his own life to ransom ours from those very fangs. If that's how his rule begins, if that's how his rule begins, can we not trust his rule throughout? If his rule begins through sacrifice, can we not trust his rule through the end? Is there really that much advantage to being consumed with lording rule over others? Is there that much advantage to be consumed with our own ambitions and our own ideas? It seems like the benefits of Jesus coming means that for those who are in Christ, he rules over us with grace, and mercy, and compassion, and growth. And as ambassadors of his rule, what does that mean for the way we treat others? That we relate to them with the same sacrificial servanthood as he did for us when we were beyond undeserving. It makes a difference, doesn't it, when rule is restored, but not just rule. Jesus can administrate righteousness and justice because he endured the greatest injustice, right? He could administrate righteousness and justice because he endured the greatest injustice for me and you. He can judge according to the heart because he created it and he knows it. He can be equitable to the poor and the meek because he became poor and meek. He can destroy the wickedness because he endured the wrath of wickedness. You see, Jesus' justice doesn't operate in the, world, in, the, in the realms of fairness. 
Jesus' justice does not operate in the world and in the realm of fairness. He operates in the realm of grace and sovereign love. And when we experience that grace and sovereign love, here's the benefit. If that benefit of grace and sovereign care and truth and love have been given to us, what justice should we then embody to others? And lastly, Jesus' healing. Jesus' healing touch will, will, will touch every molecule in creation. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that, he didn't come to just save humanity on the cross and the job's done and he walked, he, he walked out of the tomb and is alive today because there's still healing to be administered. That should give you hope. There's still healing to be administered even today. If he can have the wolf dwell with the lamb, what else can he heal? If he can make creation, if he can restore creation to the way it was intended, what else can he heal in your life? That's a DNA, hereditary, primal, core existence type of healing. And that, this, listen, this does not guarantee that every single thing that we desire for him to heal temporally will be healed. Because I know some of you have got some real hurts and some real dysfunction, and some real disease and illness and brokenness that we wish the Lord would heal today. But it seems like Isaiah is saying there's even a greater healing than what could take place today. There's a healing of eternity that we cannot even conceive of. The signal you see, the signal isn't a banner. It's not a trumpet. It's not government. It's not an agenda. It's this table. That's the signal. That's the banner that is being waved. The benefits of Christ's coming is that he considered it joy to be broken for you and for me. And that in being tucked away in him and sharing in him, we can Endure to the end. Amen.